well, can I add my welcome to you? Uh, we're really grateful to IIC for allowing us uh, to gate crash your discipleship weekend. Uh, we're aware for you guys it's your weekend and uh, you've come to us and uh, we're, we're really grateful to be together. And a huge welcome to Nick, Nick Harding, uh, who... who's been with you for uh, the weekend, uh, leading you in a, a mini learning community yesterday. And I thought it'd be a super idea for us uh, just to get to know Nick a little bit, something of the story, something that brings him to where he and his wife Jenny are in their ministry right now. Kerry and I have had the pleasure of getting to know uh, Nick and Jenny over the last uh, few years. So let's wind right back, Nick, if we may. Uh, you're in Bristol as a GP and you felt a call to plant a church in Liverpool. Explain. Okay, yeah. So as a GP, um, I was always recalling my experience as a 19-year-old on the streets of Amsterdam, living out of a community who were on a boat, engaged in discipleship and encouraging each other, and reaching out on the streets uh, from a boat called the Ark, reaching non-Christians with the gospel, bringing them back for coffee, seeing them come to Jesus, And my experience of discipleship, mission, and community in those few weeks that we were together was somehow a a compelling picture of church. And I I knew I always wanted to be part of a church that embodied those values. And so as a GP, I was part of a great church. I came out of full-time general practice into increasing levels of church leadership. But I knew that if I was ever going to um, see that church that was in my head and in my heart emerge, I needed to start from scratch somewhere. And a little wandering prophet from, the, uh, from uh, New Zealand came through our ranks one day, and he said, uh, he just a little simple word of prophecy that really encouraged me. He said, Nick, I can see there's a really great church in you trying to get out. And that's how it felt like I was, I was pregnant with this church, and I had to go somewhere to give birth to it. And so the church we were in blessed us, and a team of 12 of us went to Liverpool to plant a church there, which became Frontline Church. So give us just a little picture of how you started uh, all those years ago. Okay, well, we started with 12 people in our front room, uh, just worshipping together, fasting a day a week, breaking bread in the evening with soup and bread, and praying for the city um, for several months. That was just all we did. And then we, we started to open up our home for regular times of worship and uh, the ministry of the Word, and, and people started to come and join us. So there were, I was still working part-time in general practice. The receptionist where I was working came and joined in. Then another girl who came with us brought a mum from a toddler group who got, came with us and got healed of a cancer. And uh, gradually students started coming one after the other until the front room was completely overflowing. Um, and uh, we ended up meeting in a local youth centre after that. That's where I met my co-pastor. Uh, we merged those two small churches that uh, become great friends over a period of a few months which became the basis of Frontline Church, and, uh, and then we just continued growing from there. And give us just a, a glimpse of Frontline Church today. Um, so I handed on the church two and a half years ago to a younger leader, um, also called Harding, but not my son, only a son in, in Jesus. He's been with us for about 18 years. He's grown up since being a, uh, a newly qualified um, graduate from uh, Bible College, and uh, eventually we asked him to take on the church, but it's grown over the years to a church of about 1,100 adults and children. We've got about 290 kids on the book, so a lot of children. And uh, it's just a vibrant church with very similar to you guys here, but also trying to really um, push church out from its 
scattered, from its gathered entity to its scattered identity. So we've actually closed one of our regular Sunday gatherings once a month. Well, there's a skeleton service that takes place, but everybody goes out on that Sunday. We call it Scattered Sunday, and they meet in their missional communities out where they live. Um, just a bunch of people, anything from you know, eight or nine people up to 25 or 30 people. I think there's 40 in one. Just people trying to figure out what does it mean to be a disciple, living that life together in community, in extended family, and actually then reaching out to a neighborhood or a group of people uh, or in some focus, missional focus that God's given them. And that's really become increasingly where the life of the church is growing and where people are finding a place of belonging. Because in a bigger church, of course, it's hard always to find that sense of belonging. So increasingly, our communities are where people are finding that. Brilliant. Can we just hover there just for a moment? Because in a sense, that takes you back to where you began in your front room with a community of people, that vision that you first saw. I guess as the church began to grow, what is typical of churches in our uh, country, in the Western church, it is all about gathering people for a big event. Uh, Frontline is a big event on a Sunday, a well-run, unashamedly big event. And yet, uh, you've been working under the bonnet. Was there a, a Kairos moment, a sudden moment you thought, we're on a trajectory that we now have to change? Um, how did you go about uh, moving the church with a momentum to a big gathering into reinforcing yeah. and, and sending people back out? Because we love to come in. We do. And I love the big as much as anybody. I mean, you know, it's, it's very easy for a, a pastor to be kind of duped into thinking when everyone's worshipping God in, in their auditorium and every, whole hands are raised, this is it. And of course, it is a touch of heaven. You know, God comes among us when we gather. It is a touch of heaven. So, uh, and yet, all the time, my mind was playing back to that 19-year-old experience thinking, but there's something more. You know, this can't just be it. You know, building-based, professionally-led, Sunday-centric gatherings. There's got to be more. That's not how the early church did it. The early church, and here's the kairos for me. There were two kairoses. One was somebody said one day, you know, Jesus didn't call us to build church. He called us to make disciples. And this was the, what they said, that if you make disciples, Jesus will build his church. That was a real Kairos moment for me. So somehow the shift of attention, the shift of focus, the shift of, of resources, of priorities, of time, of leadership, had to be moved more from what we saw as building church, particularly around the Sunday gatherings, more towards the scattered expression of church, where we were just trying to do life together on an everyday, ordinary basis, growing as disciples, reaching out together. Um, so that was one Kairos. Um, I think the other was just the recognition that the early church didn't do it like this. You know, as we looked at the New Testament, uh, we, we saw this amazing church that from 120 in the upper room grew over the next 300 years through this amazing accelerating growth graph, an exponential graph of growth from 120 in the upper room to 20 million people across the Roman Empire, owning the name of Jesus. So much so that the emperor had to change the official religion of the empire to become Christianity, which, of course, where it all went downhill. But that's, that's, another that's, story. <laughs> that's a story for another day. But those first 300 years, it wasn't, they weren't allowed to own buildings. They didn't have professionally paid clergy. And it, you know, they didn't have a regular Sunday service. What they had were groups of believers in homes. You know, these extended families... Um, and, of course, they had the lovely Mediterranean weather. They had the courtyard-based buildings. They could probably get 30, 50, even 80 people in one of these courtyards. And so they'd gather there. And that was the engine room 
of the church. That was what was explosively growing and multiplying, driving the growth of the church. And so even in, even though we don't live in a Mediterranean climate and we don't have courtyard-based buildings, we're trying to try, the, the Kairos was how can we recapture something of that dynamic that fueled the explosive growth of the early church and see our job done in our day, which is the gospel to every creature, raising disciples in every nation, multiplying disciples, communities, and churches so that the earth is filled with the glory of God. Oh, man. Oh, man. So t- tell us just a, a, a little slice, a little window on some of the challenge of that. Maybe there wasn't any. Maybe everyone in your church said, yes, Nick, let's do this. We don't need Sunday anymore. We're going to get out there and win the world. Did it play out like that? Of course it played out like that, Simon. You know. Great. Well, can I ask you another question then? <laughs> no, people, people just always do what I say. So, you know, what's the problem? Yes, we, we had huge kickback because people who've grown up in church have a mindset that this, what we're experiencing today, even at its best, is what church is about. Instead of really asking the question, well, what is church about? Looking in the scriptures, trying to find out how the early church functioned. And so, yes, as we try to explore you know, what we've called these communities of believers, we've called them missional communities because we want to remind people they're communities on a mission. It's not just communities having a nice time. And we hope they have a nice time too. But it's there was a lot of kickback. Um, and I have to say, we didn't get it right. You know, when I, when I launched that and brought that to the church uh, nearly 10 years ago, first to the, you know, the ideas to the leaders and then in practice to every person in the church, um, we did it all wrong. You know, because we thought it was all about getting the right structures and getting the right training and the right tools. And, and it's not. It's all about the culture of mission and discipleship in the heart of every believer, at the heart of every community. And that takes a long time to do that. So what happened, Simon, was, um, is that out of the, you know, we, we got up to 35 communities. I would have to say, whenever anybody asked me, how's it going? I would used to say, well, about a third of them are doing really well. A third of them are just about okay. And a third of them are really pants. Okay. So um, when my successor, John Harding, took over, he made the very wise move of closing all the missional communities down. Gulp. Okay. <laughs> There's my legacy just gone down the toilet, okay? So, whew, okay, Lord. But, you know, he was absolutely right because he wasn't closing them permanently. He was closing them so that the ones that didn't have the right DNA could die off naturally and have a good death. And so he gathered all the church back together for a, about three or four months and then it, after a while started to say, well, if you were, felt like you were healthy and on track and your community was doing well, please keep going. If you feel you need to close it, then please do. And so from 35, we went down to 10 missional communities. Uh, but, you know, what we had then was healthy DNA. And it's allowed those, those communities to reproduce and to reproduce. And we're back up to about 25 now. Still probably only about 60% of the church in missional communities. So a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But it feels like what we've got is healthy. And is a, there's a pattern there that we can model for the future. Great, thank you. That's a really helpful insight. And uh, you spent you spent uh, some of your week now working for uh, KX. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about about that. It's all about training and supporting churches mm. as they uh, uh, turn themselves around to become missional discipling. But give us a flavour of what that's all about. Thank you. So, yeah, Karos Connection KX is is an, a network, a family network of leaders and churches who are all trying to figure out this journey that we're talking about now together. Mm. No, no one person has all the answers. I'm not the, the sage on the stage. I'm not the guru that has all the, all the goods. So it, I'm trying to lead this connection, this movement of churches 
that are figuring it out together. We have regular training activities through the year, gathering points. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of networking, identifying with new churches. Every week there's new churches saying, can you help us? And I got a, lot, a big Anglican church up north just a week ago said, you know, I've been in this, doing this for seven years now, big attractional church. It's, I don't know where to take the church next. I don't know how to do it. Can you help? That would be a typical kind of connection. Um, and then we do a lot of coaching. So particularly for me online with groups of um, leaders in different churches who come online for a coaching huddle, we call it, which is a coaching group for leaders, trying to support leaders on that journey um, and helping them do the best job they can do to be the best church we can be. Because I want to get Jesus back. Do you want to get Jesus back? I want, and, you know, we, we've got to complete the job before he comes back. So that's, my, that's the thing that keeps me going. Jesus, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. So let's get the job done, guys. Great. So one last quick question. Uh, We'll be thinking about this more tomorrow uh, with some leaders around the town here in Ipswich. But there's an audacious vision to have a church, and I'll I'll put that in quotes, not necessarily one of these, but a church, uh, one for every thousand in Liverpool, and you've got your fingers in that pie. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that's my one-day-a-week job, um, which is working locally in the city region around Liverpool helping a broad spectrum of churches who you know, have a share of passion for the gospel come together around a simple idea of what would it take to reach every man, woman, and child in our city region with the gospel in the next 10 years. And we're two years into that, so we've eight years left. That's a bit scary. Um, and you know, we're trying to think, well, what would that take? So at the moment, we're, we're, we've got a, a training course called Brighter, helping people grow in missional confidence um, we're trying to identify networks of leaders across a region of 1.5 million people who will work together for their patch, for their region, say, what would it take to reach every man, woman, and child where we are? Ultimately, I'm convinced it's going to take what I'm calling a missional expression of church, a multiplying missional expression of church in every neighborhood. So we use one in a thousand as a rough approximation of what that would look like. So at the end of the day, everybody is in walking distance of a group of believers living this life out together sharing good news, being good news where they are, so that at at the end of 10 years, two things have happened. One is everyone would know someone whose life has been changed by Jesus. And secondly, everybody would know a community of believers where they can go to find this good news because they've seen it, they've heard it, they've tasted it, and they know where to go. I think that would be a job done in our region. How cool is that? Mm. Great. It's a a real joy for us to have you with us. One of the things that Kerry and I really love about Nick and Jenny is that they are who they are when the doors are closed. Mm. Uh, And I've I've seen and watched them talk and lead their own missional community. When we had a meal with them just a few months ago, they invested in us and particularly invested in our boys. And we super appreciate that. It's the mark of someone that when the door's shut, uh, lives out this Jesus life. So we're thrilled that you're here. And uh, uh, we can't wait to hear God speak through you in a few moments' time. Uh, Nick Harding, everybody. Thank you.